Hi, this is Ross Payton here with Roleplaying Public Radio. This is RPPR, episode 61, Gen Con 2011, wrap-up, part one. Hey, you know, Ross, with me, uh, as always, is Tom. Yeah, you know, and, Ross, uh, actually, being back from Gen Con, I'm actually not angry enough to be pissed off at your announcer voice. All right, okay, I'll stop. You should that. really stop, though. I no, mean, no, I'm sure, I, I will. I'm, I'm sure I'm, my patience would eventually fade. I, I, my monstrous nature will be kept in check for now. I... Unleashed I, enough of it for I don't know the why time you're not being, chained up. That's what I'm saying. Why you're, I don't know why you're not chained up in a dark basement. Um, well, you know, the uh, in some government cutbacks to in some Lovecraft we'll story. Just, we'll just put it up to that. Uh, but we have a guest uh, this episode, uh, Caleb. Uh, he of Bryson Springs and Lover in the Ice and A Dirty World. So, Hi. Yes. Uh, came with us to Gen Con for the first time, for his first time. Uh, and, of course, he ran two games of Dirty World. Uh, at Gen Con, I played in a bunch of a other Gen games. A Gen Con virgin, if you will. Yeah, yes, Tom. I know you really like emphasizing that. Um, so we, uh, I think this is our best Gen Con yet. Every, of course, every Gen Con seems to be the best one yet. Uh, it just keeps getting. My better, God, Russ, better. can you imagine what our tenth Gen Con is going to be like? Uh, well, there won't be one, Tom, because remember, the world's ending in 2012. So, um, well, it'll be a post-apocalyptic Gen Con. Well, then it'll be post-Gen Con. Not you know post apocalypse apocalypse. Oh so, man! Yeah. So we, could, uh, we you know we could we yeah. could you know go to the ruins of Indianapolis. Yep. You know fighting off mutants all the and way. And there'll still be lines to get food. I, yeah, I can guarantee they will. that. Except <laughs> except we don't fucking long ass lines. And then we'll just figure out. Oh wait, we can just eat the people that die in line. Yeah. Um, well, that's what the lines are for, Tom. You wait in line so until someone really, dies. So you're really not waiting in line for anything. They, they're, they're mutants, Tom. They don't know. They just go through their memories of their past life. Anyways, uh, uh, in new, uh, some news, I, I discovered that the Zombies of the World uh, software, eStore software, has coupon management. So uh, this is a brilliant segue, by the way. Um, and I've, uh, as an experiment, I've uh, added a coupon for all you podcast listeners. Uh, enter in the code RPPR. Uh, all lowercase, um, and get 20% off any purchase you get at zombiesoftheworld.com. So, uh, oh, God, we're still on this, are we? Well, yes, uh, believe it or not. Uh, yes, buy this, Ross's books. We can validate his life. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But anyways, um, so, yeah, code RPPR at zombiesoftheworld.com. So just, first, because, just because your book's actually entertaining and well-written with good pictures. I know, right? How dare I? I know. That's part of my monstrous nature. So first off, we're going to talk to Caleb about his first impression of Gen Con. Because this is, again, you know, uh, uh, first time this, the con's been expanded uh, to incorporate new hotels. So while it's new for Tom and I and the other veterans, uh, this is his first time. So, Caleb, tell us how, what you your first impressions of Gen Con. So, oh, yeah. uh, my first impressions. Uh, I, I was a little overwhelmed first day. I hear that's a pretty standard reaction. Yeah. Uh, there was quite some long lines. I'm glad I had a press pass. Yeah. As, as Tom will no doubt attest. Yeah. Uh, the lines that we'll call were pretty long. Mm. Um, I was a little worried at first. Yeah. I guess. Uh, worried about what? I don't know. I was running into some stereotypes that it wasn't affecting. Like, there was some con funk going on. Some, some vicious stink coming off that line. Uh, a few, a few people that were pretty awkward to talk to or, <laughs> or pass my eyes over uh but but i found i did discover that you 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 uh you go to your own level 
at the con game. So it depends on what type of game you play. I'm sure if I played different systems, I would I would have run into those folks. But right, I mean, um, it is yeah to a certain degree. Uh, while there are thirty thousand people there, this is a self-selecting group, mm-hmm. and uh, they the people that are into the games you are. You, you, you I think there's sort of meeting of the minds there. For I mean, I I haven't really had any. There have been some awkward, pe- a few awkward people, but nothing really horrible. And you know, all the times I've been to Gen Con, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I was I was worried about in my game and, and around like you know, I made a persuade check. Why don't you do exactly what I said? You know that. Kind of <laughs> yes, thing. I do. Uh, uh, I I'd heard horror stories, but I didn't get any of that. It was it was a wonderful experience, and I had a great time. Uh, well, tell. Um, so what was it like running a dirty world? I mean, you mentioned that uh, on current car ride back that you had a very international group or i did uh, i had um two gentlemen from new zealand originally one lives in arizona now but they were both originally from new zealand uh i had a gentleman from france um i had uh, a couple of people from germany uh that were on their they bought general tickets and they were hoping for somebody who didn't show up again you know alex i'm very sorry if you're listening over in germany uh <laughs> And then I also had a uh, a Russian woman who had a general ticket, but she didn't get to play sadly. But uh, wow. it, it was a very it was a very international crew. Uh, I think just because of where I set the game, um, so it was very interesting. A lot of good role playing went on. A lot of good noir cool. moments. We'll talk a little more about the actual results. I think in the anecdote section because. <laughs> Uh, from what you were describing, it was pretty epic. And, of course, we'll post the, the, the first playtest with the RPPR group sooner or later because uh, we've got now a lot of games recorded. Um, and so, Tom, what about you? Uh, how was uh, your your con this year? I know you had to run one of my games because I'm, again, a horrible monster. Yes. Uh, well, uh, no, actually, I agree with you. Actually, I think this was the best one I've been to. Of course, you know, you'd think after five times you'd have have it all down, but no, of course not. The will call line was a uh, nightmare. Yeah, it was like, I believe it was just shy of four hours in line. Nice. Because uh, I guess they, you know, everyone figured, I'm going to get my ticket at will call because surely everyone's going to have their ticket sent to them. And I'll save $2. I'm sorry, $3. Looking back on it, $3 to not wait in line for four, almost four hours. Would have been money well spent. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it definitely is. Uh, yeah, so I think there's, I think uh, the post office is going to be very busy yeah. come next year. <laughs> no joke. Uh, but yes, uh, I, but everything else was, I mean, everything else was great. You know, ran your game went better than I thought. Yes, uh, it was a wild talent zombie superhero thing, and and uh, David was in that one. Okay, so we can talk about we're, um, one of the things we're going to be doing because there's so much going on in Gen Con. We're actually going to do two episodes. Uh, devoted to it. This time we have Caleb. Next time we'll have David and Aaron talk about their experiences in Gen Con. So for that, we'll talk, you know, we're going to have you and David discuss uh, the follies of superheroes fighting zombies and all that stuff. So Yeah. Although I will say in that game, I did end up killing my number one fan on the RPPR forums. <laughs> uh, well, I, he probably considered it an honor. I would imagine so. Uh, you know, yeah. just, well, and I didn't kill him. The other players did. Yeah. Um, and of course, it's a good time to bring up. We did have another RPPR meetup. I know we only mentioned this on the forums, uh, but we had like five or six fans show up uh, for our meetup, um, and that that's always been fun. Oh, uh, yeah. 
We, uh, of course, um, for this year, we I, I ran another oversized game for ten players, um, and yeah, it was basically uh, last player standing, everyone trying to kill each other. So, um, and fortunately, however, Caleb won. So, why don't you discuss your winning strategy? Yes, for this tell episode. us about it, Caleb. Yeah, what uh, what what would you describe? He's the guest here. He should be. I know. What was? What do you think allowed you? To win. Um, just so you know, we were using a very stripped down version of the one roll engine uh, where I gave everybody one minute or one roll of the dice for their turn because we had so many players there and we used hit locations, but you were just normal people and uh, sort of freeforming the skills. So one person had skipping class as a skill, another person had uh, plumbing as a skill. Um, yeah, you were, Tom was a German boxer skilled in the arts of violence, which is very unusual for. I know, shocking. So, Caleb. Uh, I'd played the system before. I think that probably helped. Yeah. Uh, but I had seven dice in uh, sneaking around. Yeah. And then I had five dice in making traps. So I played an exterminator that talked like TV's Columbo and <laughs> made horrible traps in the mall for everyone. I did not kill someone while hopping around with one arm and one leg like Tom did, though. Yeah, which is which is amazing, you know, when you can punch with one leg. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I did. Uh, I did. Uh, 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 limbs were destroyed, but <laughs> I, I didn't impose any. I didn't impose many penalties on those because usually the people who are uh, suffered limb loss uh, tended to die pretty quickly after that. Word. But but I think everyone you know won that game. Yeah, Ross. Oh yeah, it was a group effort. Um, that's true. Uh, <laughs> but I want for real. And I mean, we didn't record that, that game. It was ti- I was literally uh, improvising. We didn't have time to set it up, and I I didn't. I was kind of nervous about running it a little bit. I wasn't sure if I wanted to record it, but I, I wish I had because uh, my single favorite moment was in there. Um, and I was getting a little anecdote territory, but um, each character had a random weakness that you know everyone wrote, wrote down one weakness for their <laughs> characters. Uh, and why don't you tell us? Uh, you, you could describe it more since it happened to you, Caleb. Uh, it was completely absurd. Like my weakness was answering phones. You like, had to answer the telephone. My character could not not answer phones. Uh, like if it heard if heard a phone, he just well, it could be someone important. You know, it didn't matter what was going on. So. Oh, that was a pretty fun mechanic. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the other ones? They were ridiculous. Uh, allergic to salt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Somebody was a slug, uh, apparently. Obsessive bargain hunter, I think, something like that. You had, yeah. Oh, that was, yeah. Um, there were some other ones. So, but that actually came into play once. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so was it Shalazar? Yeah. So Shalazar, he, he squared off against me first thing, and I'd made a trap of, like... Uh, an Ewok canoe trap or something ridiculous, and it hit him. Oh, this uh, this took place in a shopping mall, yeah. by the way. So you know, and he he was uh, the game. trying to find me because I'd made my sneak roll, and then he goes, "Well, I'm going to use my mouth sounds power <laughs> to make a telephone ring convincingly." Because we all knew each other's weaknesses. And I'm just like, what What the fuck? A mouth sounds power? <laughs> and then he shows me his sheet. And he's literally, literally written down mouth sounds 8D. No, it's 5D. 5D. Yeah. He just, yeah. still, an insane amount of dice. It a really weird fucking power to take <laughs> right off the bat. 
but he thankfully, thankfully he botched his roll, or I would have been dead uh, with his mouth sounds power. But I, I was, I just totally called him on bullshit, and he he totally called me right back. It was right there on the sheet. So my only regret, Touché, Salazar. My uh, only regret is that I did not give Salazar five bonus <laughs> dice for having the best possible skill to counter that weakness. I mean, that was amazing. Um, uh, I think I can't remember how he died in that game. Um, I think he was blown up by Aaron. Aaron blew himself up uh, in a uh, by exploding a natural gas line and took out <laughs> two other people with him. So that that was fun. So um, yeah, um, it, that was a very insane game. Now that I think about I it. thought I took him out. You, oh, did you? I yeah, can't I remember. Him Aaron to took out two people. I, I punched him to death. You punched him to death. Again, My God, I killed him twice. Yes, you did. You're insane. Uh, He's my number one fan. Yeah. And I killed him twice. Well, yeah, so perhaps he, he uh, it's an honor or something again? I'm, I'm not sure. I hope so, because uh, uh, I, I don't mean to be the dealer of death. Yeah. Um, so, of course, uh, uh, so that was a really fun game. I'm sure the people in the, the forums will talk about that, and David and Aaron will talk about it when, they, when we get to them uh, in the next episode. But um, there were a lot of things going on in Gen Cop, not just gaming. There were big events as well. Um, we uh, were at several panels that we recorded. We've already posted the first one, the Eclipse Phase one. Uh, oh, which, oh uh, Ross lost the any to... Uh... Well, I'm getting to that, Tom, yes. Uh, I, know, I feel it needs to be said now. Okay. To, yeah, he lost to Pathfinder. Can you believe that well, shit? Well, I know. Uh, the Ennies, of course, uh, 11th annual Ennies, uh, or 10th annual. Um, Why were you wanting to postpone this, Ross? No, I wasn't. It was Are you trying be to hide the truth from the listeners? It, I knew it was going to happen beforehand. Everyone knows Pathfinder's going to win everything, because it's Pathfinder. It wins everything every year. He dared uh, to go up against Pathfinder. I, I didn't. I was nominated. It wasn't my choice. It wasn't like, I, uh, I choose to fight you, Pathfinder. Anyways. Uh, so the Indies went off. Uh, Best Adventure category, of course, Road Trip was nominated. Um, Pathfinder, whatever adventure they had, uh, won. Uh, but Delta Green, Targets of Opportunity won Silver, second place. I saw uh, that, yeah. Yeah, and which was funny because that's the first Delta Green book that actually doesn't have a scenario in it. So it's one at Best Adventure without actually having an adventure in it. So I picked up that book. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a great read. Um so, well, we, well, Adam Scott Glancy having a good book? That's impossible. I know. Uh, well, you just like it because it has ghouls in it. It did help, yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I like things I like, Ross, and that's why... I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong. I saw the look in your face. It's like obvious. Like, uh, I know Tom you listeners and, can't because we're only an audio... We're only a, you know, you can audible it. medium, but... Tom with his handlebar mustache and his top hat and his yes, and, clown makeup. And Ross with his inhuman eyes because yeah. he's a no, monster. No, the eye patch. Um, anyway, uh, he still we're has just both making eyes. shit up at this point. He still has both eyes, but he wears an eye patch. But uh, So the event-wise, um, so yeah, we went to the Innies. It was fun. I actually got to meet Kieran Robinson there. <coughs> he wrote Old School Hack, which won gold for Best Free Product. And I uh, convinced him to run us a, a game of Old School Hack for the RPPR people. Uh, some RPPR people and Art Dream people, um, and we could talk about that in a little bit. Uh, any other events or panels that you uh, particularly liked? Um, Delta Green or the uh, Caleb? I know you, of course, were at the Eclipse Phase panel, which I just posted the day of this recording. I don't know when I'm going to get the episode up, but uh, Caleb, what were your thoughts on the Eclipse Phase panel? Uh, I thought the Eclipse Phase panel was great. Um, I, I think. It's really cool how they live the Creative Commons license as well as have it. You know, they just tell you everything they plan on doing. Right. Um, they talked about 
possible campaign source books, which is what I'm really looking forward to. The the firewall one, or uh, well, before that, just a full blown campaign book. Yeah, uh, like Maxa Maxa for Eclipse Phase. Um, I th- and he said he already had an idea, but he didn't want to spoil it. So I, right. I was really psyched for that. Um, Rimward's the next book, uh, which will deal everything. You know, all the crazy habitats with you know strange political philosophies and the Jupiter and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then Panopticon was is is good. I'm working my way through it. So I okay, was, yeah. What are your uh, initial thoughts on it? Because I I got it too, but I've only read like literally like two or three pages of it. So uh, apparently it was supposed to be longer, is what they said in the cliff phase. Yeah, it was supposed to add more stuff, uh, but it just deals with surveillance habitats and, and uplifts. uplifts. Yeah, and uh, you're not going to have questions about that anymore because uh, if you troll the cliff phase forums, they there are a lot of questions about how the habitat specifically works and yeah. how this works. You can actually works. hack them. You know, uh, you can sleeve in them. Like you can have a habitat as your morph now. Like there's rules for everything. And uh, the habitat part, I know at least, was written by a NASA scientist. NASA payload engineer. Yeah, and you can tell it, was, it is complex. It goes into everything. Uh, it double and triple covers things. Like there's a there's a part written in voice by like a firewall agent explaining you the dangers of space and all that kind of stuff. And then there's uh, there's a part that just goes through specific types of habitats with illustrations. And then there's, you know, different stuff to deal with, like how they deal with security, how they deal with mesh access. And they double and triple cover stuff. Like, depressurization is bad. Did you know depressurization is bad? Here's what happens you depressurize. You really shouldn't depressurize. <laughs> it's bad to depressurize. Stay inside the airline. Like, just, you know, it, they just, it's covered. Like, yeah. Uh, and then surveillance. I don't know how you have a spy organization because everybody can see you do everything. Uh, it's I'm only part way through it, but some of the new morphs are just bananas in the uplift section. Uh, they get pretty space opery out there, uh, but they they have new morphs pretty much associated with each section. So like the surveillance morph is called a shaper or something, and it's basically a, a shapeshifter pod where you can just you know morph into other or look like other morphs. So that's pretty interesting. Um, it, it's good for when you're running. If you need to run an Eclipse Phase campaign, it's really good. It's it's pretty useless if you're going to run a one shot, but right. uh, it, it's useful if you have a lot of outstanding. Well, what questions. have you been reading? I mean, what specific have you? How many? How much have you covered of it so far? I've read about half of it. Okay. I've read about half of each section. I get tired of a section. I'll switch chapters. Anything really jump out at you so far? Um, the uplift section is good. They do a good. They do a good idea of getting into the mind of someone who is not human. Yeah. Um, even though they're using human speech. Yeah. I think that'd be good for anyone playing an uplift, just to read that to see how you know he you know talks about humans, which disdain most of the time, but yeah. it, it's cool. Um, and yeah, it, it's really interesting. Uh, the whole surveillance thing, they, it's pretty. That's the hardest science, I think, in there because um, everything in there has been proposed, as far as I know. Uh, but it, it's it's a, it's a good Eclipse Phase book. It's a pretty good Eclipse Phase book. I, 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 I will say that the art isn't quite the quality of the other three. Okay. Um, it's still very good, especially the habitat art. Cover art I like. But And the cover art is fantastic because okay. I think it's by it's by the same people who do most of the work. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The other three books. But uh, there there is some work on there where it's it's not on par of just like, wow, that's pretty. You know, <laughs> which is the typical Eclipse Phase art reaction. So Yeah. But that would be my only complaint. 
yeah, no, I mean, one of the few pages I did read was for the uplifts was uh, the the uh, in fiction, a little bit of in in character stuff of uh, someone listing escapees from an uplift uh, facility, uh, talking about oh these bonobos they're kind of harmless oh this is a dolphin that's killed several people and has swi- uh, switched morphs several times and is on the loose, and then the uh, uh, orangutan who a female orangutan who cannot understand spoken speech but can read and write and has a muse to translate spoken word for her and is a brilliant sociopath. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that's a really fucked up villain. You know, that's- yeah, and they have rules for how each habitat, if you're going according to canon, treats uplifts, and that's really useful because they, they don't just describe like the laws. They describe like the spirit behind the laws. Yeah. So like, so um, Luna's going to be fun for Tom's character. Yeah, because apparently Luna, like, you're second-class citizens, but they don't care about you because they hate robots so much. Like, you don't have rights. You're still property. But they're not focused on hating you like they are hating the clanking masses. But then, you know, the Jovians are just like, you know, that octopus took my job. Like, they hate all smart animals and all uplifted animals. Uh, and so there's there's also extended smart animal rules. So if you wanted to play, like, the super future rat trainer or something, you could yeah. you could just be surround yourself with smart baboons and have them eat people for you. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it expands your options as a player as well as a GM. But it's mainly a GM book. Yeah. Well, yeah, except for the equipment, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but there's not a whole lot of that. But it was cool to hear them talk about, you know, their plans for the future and uh, what they thought a Phase campaign was because not a lot of that has come up. They said the only ones they've seen have been located in one locale, right? Or have been gate crashing. Um, so, well, firewall based or gate crashing. And he yeah. Said that he saw it as more universe hopping, you know, sleeving around different places. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, of course, there was one thing that you feel vindicated about. I know that uh, I had to ask, <laughs> and, and just for the listeners, we're doing a clip space campaign right now. I haven't posted any of the episodes yet, but they they are coming. Um, but Aaron's, of course, playing a synth morph. Uh, a robot, you know, big surprise. And He's playing a Tachkoma. Tachkoma from Ghost in the Shell, a <laughs> spider robot. Uh, we've been on Venus so far, which has very large aerostats, uh, <laughs> you know, cloud cities, basically, that uh, have a lot of space. But we're going to, you know, the moon, Luna, very small, cramped habitat. So before we went to Gen Con, Caleb said, Aaron, you cannot be a Tachkoma anymore. <laughs> Because they're big, they're fucking huge, uh, and you know there's not much space on there. Aaron's and like, he cried, and Aaron's like, "Well, you know, <laughs> kind of waffled there." And then, uh, uh, so on at the panel, I had to ask, "How big are t- can Tachkoma be on Luna?" I mean, how crowded is that? So when uh, you hear Ross ask a question, and I call him a dick. You, you actually said your character's going to, to die. Yeah. You said you, you're going to kill. My I guess kid. I whispered, "You're a dick." Yeah. To all of you of those in Radio Land, I said he was a dick. Yeah. And then uh, I told him I could loudly yeah. in public. Yes. <laughs> uh, and the people laughed. Uh, and the, the game designer said, uh, well, you know, you, you feel... Uh, it was vindicated! They can't... The Tash Gromer's too big to go on Luna, except on the outdoors, you know, uh, out in space or whatever. So, so they can't... So Aaron has to switch morphs. So uh, straight from the horse's mouth. The cyber <laughs> horse's mouth. Um, so Tom... Um, Let's see here. Uh, I forgot. Were you at the Delta Green panel too? No, I was not. Okay. Uh, the Delta Green panel. Uh, so I'll talk about that. Um, I spent most of the time hanging out with Ian and Violet. Yes, Ian Moody and Violet Kirk, uh, RPPR artists in residence. In fact, we hung out a lot. Okay. Uh, so that, and of course, well, except the day they uh, they, they said this was a very good con for them. 
Yeah, it's good for them. Yeah, uh, yeah. They they got some work. I don't want to spoil it for them because no, they're, no, st- no. they're still in negotiations, but they might be getting some work out of that when they when it becomes public. We'll let you guys know because um, they do awesome work for the. Uh, they just did some work for the ruins of Lemuria. You PDF. should totally commission work from them. Yeah, you should. Um, but uh, I do want to mention the Delta Green panel. Um, now I recorded that as well. That's not going on RPPR. I'm going to put that on the Unspeakable Oath podcast. Um, but they're talking about Delta Green. Uh, spoiler alert: uh, They're going to do a standalone Delta Green RPG, separate from the Call of Cthulhu rules, although similar. Um, and they're going to make Delta Green in a- after 9/11. Uh, they're going to update the history of it so that Delta Green becomes an official government agency again. Uh, so that there there is they're not going to be illegal, um, you know, conspiracy anymore. Um, of course, there are going to be rules for running Delta Green in any period of its history, the organization's history, in the new rule book. So they're, they're thinking about doing that by next year. Uh, of course, this has generated a lot of discussion on the Delta Green email list. I know you guys um, are familiar with Delta Green. What do you think of that? I mean, the, uh, there's been tons of debate about that on the, on, for the hardcore Delta Green fans. But do you, I mean, does that bother you? I mean, Delta Green being going from illegal to legal or uh, what? Or, well, I... I really kind of think this. I still think the core element of the game is still there. Yeah, you're playing someone, whether a whether a secret government conspiracy or a not so secret government conspiracy, hardly matters. You're still basically spooks going up against the the mythos. Okay, and uh, so I don't think that really changes much of anything. Okay, well, what about you? I mean, you you ran the the very popular Lover in the Ice Delta Green scenario. Uh, Oh yeah. Um, well, from my understanding and my reading of the panel, they they uh, seem to indicate that they were going to engineer multiple interpretations of Delta Green into the game. Like you were still a, in a legal organization, or you were totally disenfranchised. Like you'd lost your job as a result of your mythos interaction. Well, I think, I think or a, you were legal and yeah. enfranchised, and that they were going <laughs> to say that there would be places for every type of player in there yeah uh, sort of in a more eclipse phasing it well it could be this or it could be this or it could be this um but i think they're completely right to update it because uh i mean the game's fantastic i just bought uh the the source book and then uh yeah the, the, targets of opportunity yeah uh while we the main at, book the main yeah, book while we were at the yeah. con and they're fantastic but yeah, you have to update it. I mean, have you re- have you watched X Files lately? Yeah, I'm, it's fantastic when you're a kid, and it still holds up to some part. But then you <laughs> some see, part. <laughs> then you see Scully's shoulder pads, and you're just like, Ugh. <laughs> come on, Fluke Man, get with it. Um, yeah. So uh, doesn't always uh, you've got up. you've got to update that. Yeah, zeitgeist wise, and yeah, they made a good point about uh, the the cultural zeitgeist changing from you know. The '90s fear of government to 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 now. I mean, our government's too ineffectual to yeah. be scared of. You yeah, know, exactly. Like you can't buy that they could pull off a conspiracy because they can't pull off anything. So, yeah, you're, you're just saying that because they can't balance a budget. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, I do, and speaking of Cthulhu, I did pick. This isn't brand new. It's recent though. It's uh, Cthulhu Invictus, Cthulhu in the Ancient Rome. I picked that up there because that looked intriguing. I've started reading through that. We're probably going to be doing some one shots of it shortly. But it's a it's a very interesting book because it kind of takes the sort of obvious art, which is taking the sort some of the myths that were popular in ancient Rome and Cthulhuizing them, mythosizing them. I don't know, mythoifying them. 
Giving, uh, giving them a Lovecraftian angle. So you mm-hmm. see, you know, creatures from the uh, Odyssey uh, in Egyptian mythology becoming given mythostats um, and that kind of thing, which I don't know how that works, but it's it's very open-ended in how you use it. I mean, a lot of the material is based on generating characters for, Cthul- uh, for the So I imagine Vercingetorix's tribe in uh, Britannia will... Uh, be wielding some barbarian shit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you can, yeah, you can run from any any periods, and the, the default thing is first century AD. So uh, kind of the height of Rome. Yeah, exactly. Um, but there, are, I also picked up the companion, which has three or four scenarios for it, one in Africa, one in Rome itself, um, and then one uh, yeah. Egypt. And Rome had so. some serious tunnels. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's a lot of material there. Um, so it looks really good, um, and. You don't have shotguns anymore, so or browning you, machine guns or dynamite. You, you, know, you don't you, have dynamite. You, you've got a spear, you got a shield, you got a gladius. Yeah, exactly. So. Good fucking luck. Yeah. So this will be so this will be a fun thing to try out. Um, and I think ancient Rome kicks ass too. Yeah, great. I mean, um, I've actually don't think I've ever actually played a game in that. Yeah, exactly. It, it sounded like a fun uh, novel. But thing. I, you know, I love me some ancient Rome. So um, and of course historical Cthulhu, uh, another game uh, Caleb and I got to do. We did uh, do another Scott Glancy game. Um, we tried to get in, uh, there, he, Scott ran at least two games, um, that I know of one that we couldn't get into because he actually ran it as a registered game. Um, and eight, but he didn't have like, you couldn't register for it ahead of time. You just had to show up with generic tickets. Caleb and I went for that and 18 people showed up for a six person game. So. Which is precisely uh, three times more. Yeah, exactly. So Caleb and I bowed out of that because the night before, that was on Saturday, but the, on the night before, we did uh, uh, a private game that he did for the Arc Dream guys and uh, us, uh, which was a World War, it was called the, the Last Mission or the Night Mission? The Night Mission. The Night Mission. Uh, so why don't you tell, 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 tell us about it, Caleb, a little bit? Okay, um, well, we go to this ridiculous, like, group of explorers club it was called the columbia club yeah uh it had grover cleveland's original presidential or president desk. harrison's i think president i don't know so harrison i think it oil paintings uh this is the place the game was held yeah it was held at like it looks like you're supposed to start an actual cthulhu adventure there when yeah. sir reginald thompson in comes in with the artifact from deepest africa it was literally uh, built in the 20s yeah it, it, it's it's nuts but we he ran the game there and uh i had a great time i thought it was awesome um just well team rppr did pretty good yeah well tell what was the basic setup uh we were it was world war one we were split into three bombers uh two-man bombers uh and Mr. Clancy is, you know, uh, great with historical accuracy. So it was very realistic. I was in the mood. I was immersed. Uh, yeah, because he actually had, like, photo of it and showed us, like, this is where this part is. This is where the bomb goes. And maps and everything yeah. like that. Uh, and we ended up accidentally releasing a bomb and releasing, were they night gods? What were they? Uh, Bayekis. Bayekis. Uh, we dropped a bomb on a building that had an elder. An like elder a monastery. Son. Yeah. And uh, they came after us. And we had to fight them off in these World War One bombers, and it was it was pretty fantastic. Yeah, there was like yeah, pilot and tail gunner for each plane. Uh, there was us, then there was Greg Stoles, Shane Ivy, and then there were two other gamers who were friends of theirs, um, Keith, and another guy named Ross. Yeah. And uh, of course, the other Ross died. It, it was a great group, and it was really fun to play with them, <laughs> yeah. as it was all through the weekend. Uh, and I, I think I think Glancy warmed up to me by the end of yeah. the weekend, but I don't know if he was on my page by yeah. the time we played that game uh 
So I think he was trying to kill me, and it was kind of funny because yeah. we had sharp ed dice, and they were game amazing. Science. Game science, yeah, dice. go game science dice. There, yeah. I was rolling impales. So was like, I. Was a, I, I yeah, and so basically, one plane, uh, the the gunner gets eaten, and the the pilot just eats it into the middle of the Alps, like surrounded by horrific. He, monsters. I think he passes out because he yeah. he gets bitten. He fails his con check to stay conscious, and so he just the plane just hits the Alps. Uh, and then Stolze and Ivy were out of it for most of the time because they both failed their sand checks. So he was screaming in the back, whereas Ivy just passed out and they're going plummeting. To, yeah, they faint and plummet toward the Alps. And then by the end of the game, after we'd fought them all off, uh, they botched their landing. And so, like, they all come well, out. Well, yeah, they, fortunately, Shane did recover in time to pull them. Yeah, yeah they, they come back into the game later, but when they land, they botch it and they get both their arms and legs broken, like the plane's on fire. Whereas Ross, like, kills five or six, six. in one machine gun spray. Well, I killed three with the machine gun. Yeah. The, the other three, uh, then I, I killed three with one strafing run, then killed another one, then I killed two with the revolver, because I impaled both times with the revolver. Yeah. So. And my character's named Bigglesworth. <laughs> uh, and I impale my bomb roll, like, yeah. just hit it on the nose and then for some reason uh, oh yeah i take flak and i can't turn right for the rest of the game yeah my play doesn't go right and i impale like every roll when i have to so everybody else is like dead or dying and ross is basically beating up uh bayaki with his fists just for a challenge and my character like is dog fighting in a leftward direction whilst uh I think the most, like, I had a scratch on my uh, flight suit. Like, that's all I had. I took two damage, and that was my armor on my flight suit. So I I may have rubbed it in by, like, smoking a pipe and... Well, it was, speaking it was, of it was pretty good. It was great because the Columbia Club was ha- hosting a wedding reception at the same time. Oh God! Yeah, and there are these. Uh, we're I wish it, we were video We're in this li- like little hallway uh, with a table off to the side, and there's a little couch, two couches next to us. So it's like a little you know greeting room off to the side uh, on the second floor. I think of the it building. was the smoking room. Yeah, smoking room. I think everybody came up there to smoke. Yeah, and like these socialites start coming in. And it's like Carcosa all of a sudden because they're like well dressed. The, the the women are you know have very silver but very you know well. The Simpsons, yeah. the old debutante woman with like the beehive white hairdo yeah. and the cocktail dress and the, <gasps> like who do who was just there to do that in scenes. They all looked like that. You yeah. could hear the monocles break yeah. as they walk in, and there's all these you know fat middle aged men talking about <laughs> biplanes and yeah biplanes and. And sneakers and, t- yeah, and t-shirts, yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. Uh, it was, it was. You pretty- can hear them in the background. Yeah, I wish we were video casting. It, yeah. it was worth it. Uh, so, uh, I feel like I was the only one acknowledging it. I feel like I was dying laughing. Everyone was just like, "What? What? Are you guys are just cool." I'm looking at it, but I'm just like, <laughs> I, all I'm concerned about is the audio quality. Like, God damn it, why won't they shut up? You know, because <laughs> I'm just, a, you know, the sound engineer at heart. Um, but yeah. Are they pretending to be in a bomber in the First World War? Because the Great I was, War. Because my husband was there, and he said it was nothing like that. <laughs> um, it was bad. Yeah, one of the players who died was an English lord. Glancy does really good in PC, or PC pre-gen, so um, <laughs> that was pretty awesome. But uh, Tom, yeah, speaking of Cthulhu, uh, we got to try out a board game, the only one that I've 
been talking about not Mansions Madness, but the good one, Arkham Horror. Yes, indeed. So, because um, Ian and Violet brought a copy of it. So, uh, what are your first impressions of Arkham Horror? I will say that if you've never played it before, it's got a bit of a learning curve. A little bit, yeah. It, we apparently did the first three year, about three turns wrong. Yeah. But once you get the rules down and figure out how it's supposed to go, it's really fun and goes really fast. Yeah. It's one of those games like... You, we were just playing... The, one thing to keep in mind, we were playing the base game with no heralds and no expansions. And we uh, drew Yogg's... So, thought. Yeah, yeah, Yogg. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that, that had a great thing. Is normally when you lose your sanity, you just become lost in time and space. No, for, that's if you're in the outer worlds. If you lose your time... You lose your sanity in Arkham, you go to the asylum. Well, yeah, but if you lose your, if you lose your sanity Jeez. in the outer world, you go, you're just lost in time and space for a while and eventually you come back. But since Yogg's thought was the monster... Anyone who is lost in time and space is immediately devoured. Yeah. So uh, that was in, there was a lot of little minor encounters that became instant death if you failed. Yeah. Um, but so, K- well, uh, Caleb and I got to play for the first hour and a half because uh, we wait, were wait, waiting for your game. Yeah, waiting for our game. But what, what did you think in that hour and a half, Caleb, uh, about the... Uh... Uh, I liked the game a lot. I'd like to play a full version of it. Uh, yeah. I bet the expansions do get... Just bananas. <laughs> yeah, no, they um, they do. I can I can tell you that much because it was much different from I, I was playing with Insmith and Kingsport, and that those add, make it a little more interesting. And by interesting, I mean you die yeah. much more frequently. I mean that that said, not that I know much about what I'm talking about, but from a game design perspective, I think you could still enjoy that game a lot and simplify it a bit. There's there's a lot of shit on that table. A lot of like, cards. Don't turn the fan on. <laughs> if, if you're playing Arkham Horror, because yeah. there is, you really need to keep it organized. Like, yeah. it's pretty nice, but it looks fun. Well, okay, actually, I think one thing that makes it stand apart from a lot of others. Yeah. If you're dead, if you die, the game's not over for you. This is true. But we just did. Every time a character died, we we did discard that character's card. You can no longer play this guy. But there's so many pregens, you can just grab another one and jump right, right back in. So, so this- it, it has that that if you die, you're not out of the game. This is true, and that's, that's, in fact, I remember when I was playing in the Insmith expansion, uh, one of the characters is a member of the Marsh family, and uh, the Insmith expansion also adds personal quests, uh, and I mentioned this before, I think, but um, each personal quest, you, you do something, you if you get a certain amount of items or whatever else, you pass it, you get a bonus. If you fail, you get a penalty. For most characters, that's like, oh, you can do, you use your special ability more easily, or you get more money, or you get more clue points, or whatever else. In Obed Marsh's... Um, his personal quest is if he passes, he is devoured and he seals a gate. If he fails, he, uh, he is devoured and you put a deep one where his character was. So either way, he dies as his personal quest. So like what we would do is someone would always play him and try and do his personal quest as quickly as possible so he could seal one of those six gates just right off the bat. So we just cycle through characters uh, quickly. So that was nice. fun. Um, oh, yeah, that one you can actually become a deep one over time. Yeah, in Innsmouth, yeah, there are cards that uh, expand. We never got to that too much. Because there's a lot of death. Because there's a lot of other... Sh- also, Innsmouth gets really flooded with monsters pretty quickly when we were playing it. So um. Yeah, and I'll say, actually, my proudest moment in that game is after you left. I killed a, I killed a uh, Chthonian. Oh, nice. Because... So. Uh, Aren't they like giant worms? That's the doles. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. well, actually, well, they're, no, they're, they're, they're worms, too. They're, they're kind of... Graboid esque, you know. But uh, yeah, I no, I had I killed one because I was playing the gangster, so I start the game with a Tommy gun and dynamite, right? And I use dynamite on it, yeah. And I scored like it, it has like four defense, so you have to have you have to get four just to even injure it. 
And I had, so I had. You mean ten, a minus four penalty? Yeah, minus four penalty. Yeah. So, I, of course, but I had ten dice because so of the. So you got uh, six left, so. And, uh, no, I had, no, actually, I had eight dice even after all the penalties. So you had like twelve or something, yeah. Yeah. So I rolled it and got like six damage on it. Nice. I won in that. Because what sucks about that monster, every time it moves, every player in the game takes one point of stamina damage because of the earthquakes it causes when it moves. <laughs> oh, Arkham Horror. Even on easy mode, you're fun. So, um, but uh, I killed it with dynamite. Yeah, in fact, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, we talked to, I talked to Kieran Robinson at the Innies, and that night, uh, while we were waiting, uh, the reason why Caleb and I left early is because Kieran showed up and ran a game of Old School Hack for us. Now, uh, Old School Hack is a new rules light system. Um, he's put it, it's a free PDF. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, that's meant to emulate the spirit of old school Dungeons and Dragons, but with kind of a, a wushu feel to it where it's crazy stunting. So think of like, a, kind of like, imagine old school D&D, Redbox D&D, but played like our, say, 1988 League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, very over the top and ridiculous. Um, so very freeform character generation, too. Um, what were your thoughts on the system, Caleb? Oh, I thought that was fantastic. Um, that was my favorite system I played at uh, Gen Con, and it was really great to see him run it. I think I learned a lot. About uh, GMing. So what, what do you mean? I mean, I'd like to go into more detail about that. Well, I mean, we just had bizarre character concepts, and I think the system itself encourages us to be completely off the wall. Yeah. But he allowed everything and still really kept it together, um, and he was really laid back about it. It was very fun, um, and it was it was a really great system. Like you know, it's entirely flubbing it, but you never felt like he was flubbing it. It felt yeah, it felt generally. Uh, Awesome point to say to use a term from the game because we had some bizarre character concepts and we were doing some ridiculous. What was ridiculous your favorite shit. character? I mean, was it your your, uh, your character was pretty good? Yeah, I liked uh, Ross played a barbarian, a, yeah. basically a naked barbarian yeah. who hated oppression, tyranny. Yeah, he had tyranny and he regarded any kind of control over anything as tyranny. Uh, and his weapon was a statue of the king that he killed. <laughs> Yeah, because he beat the king to death with a statue, and uh, yeah, you can have any kind of weapon you want, like as long as it makes any, it doesn't make sense. As long as you want it, you can have, because uh, it all fits into five categories. I think one so. of the other players describe it as very close to spirit to Castle Crashers. Um, if you've played that Xbox arcade game, um, it's very close in the spirit of that. Very. Uh, kind of fun. Yeah, um, your character is very fun too. I can't. Did you ever look up the name of that guy? your guy? Can you pronounce it for us? For your oh, cleric, Reza Shaza, Reza Baza Shaza Barenthal, Reza? something like that. Yeah, um, it was I wrote an it down. anime cosplay god, <laughs> and you had to you for anyone who converted to convert, guy, you had to take the name and wear its outfit, right? So and I'm, have paintings and statues made of you whenever possible, because <laughs> there was no there was no photography. So. Yeah, right. Um, and your ranged weapon. What was the ranged weapon you chose? My uh, weapon was literature about my god tied to rocks. <laughs> so I never intended to hit anyone. I was just trying to, you know, inform them of the good news. Uh, but I had bad aim. Yeah. So. Uh, the other character was really fun, too. There was a goblin that was very uh, played very well by two of the arc, one of the Archery people. There were Simeon and Meg, um, people who were helping running the booths. Meg uh, had a disturbing character concept. She yeah. was the like door, but a door whisperer. Yeah, someone the door who, whisperer. She yeah. chose to spell the letter open and close doors. It was hilarious, just, but she was like opening doors in people's chests. And yeah, just just freaky shit too. It was it was pretty good. 
Uh, and she would. She was very good at role playing. She's like, I'm just gonna carve something into this door. I'm gonna ignore combat. I'm not gonna do anything useful this round. So um, uh, he he did say it could be used for more serious gaming. But yeah. With the awesome point mechanic, like kind once, of occurred. Once you get your first awesome point, you're, you're right. in it for the awesome points. Like, yeah. right, what crazy shit can I do next? Exactly. Somebody nominate um, me for something. We also so. have the angry DM, um, who is a RPG blogger. Obviously, um, what was his name? Uh, I can't remember his character's name, but it, I, I remember Kieran wrote a little caption for each of us, and his was "Dwarf Man has Nars" because I know his character <laughs> also was naked, except for well, you know, like a kilt. Uh, yeah, and uh, was playing a very uh, neurotic. He was dwarf. A, yeah, he was an insecure dwarf. Yeah, with self esteem issues. Um, so. so you will have an actual play of that, you know, and so you can hear all of the insanity. But that was really fun getting to meet other GMs. If I ever taught somebody who'd never played a role playing game before, I would use that system. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think it's pretty fantastic for that. Kind uh, of yeah, and it's a free twenty. 26 page PDF. I actually have an idea of doing like a cobalt cl- fan, you know, fan class for like for the cobalt, like or do like you know a tinkerer type kind of like make you know abilities on building shit, you know, building crazy inventions or something like that. Because um, I think that would be fun. You know, it's very it supports very art, you know, fun art, iconic archetypes kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Your character sheet starts off the elf, yeah. the cleric, like. Uh, so it, it's fun if you're experienced because you can kind of metagame it. Uh, but I, I think it'd also be fun for someone who'd never played before. Yeah. Um, so that's how I intend to use it a lot. So. Yeah. No, it was very fun. Um, and and thank you for running it. Karen, yes. If you're, if you're listening. Um, so. we'll, we'll put a little shout out for his, uh, for, well, definitely for his website because it's free. Get download that shit. I mean, totally. why aren't you downloading it? <laughs> download it right now. Um, download while you're listening to this. So, um, so Tom, yeah. Uh. Um, well, I think we're also going to mention the con. We should probably also mention the trip to and from. Yes, of I course. think uh, yes. Our trip to and from the con were helped consecutively by different things. Yeah, it made the trip go faster. This is true. Because uh, let's be honest, the drive from St. Louis to uh, Terre Haute is kind of uh, mind-numbing. Well, the whole trip is pretty long. It's an eight-hour drive. But us, at so. least most of the way through Missouri, there's stuff to see. Yeah. There are, but there once, are objects outside that but, can yeah, be But, yeah, because there's hills and mountains and rivers. Yeah. In Illinois, it's flat farmland. Yeah, yeah, this is true. This is true. Uh, but yeah. Caleb helped us out on the way there with yeah. the nice game that I... I'm only going to ma- make up that game. No, but you introduced us to it. So, so as far so as far as we're concerned, you invented it. <laughs> no, he. I believe him. I, I, I vaguely remember hearing about it before, but that was. Long. But I had forgotten about it. It's been yeah. I'm. I probably heard about it too, but I too forgot. Yeah. But he re, he reintroduced it to our lives. Yeah. It was uh, fuck Mary kill. That was the name of the game. You have to you you list three thing three people, and you have to choose which one to fuck, which one to marry, and which one to kill. And our choice, it was, it went on for to, hours. To go on, to go into detail would yeah. make you respect us less. Yeah, no, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> obviously, we're icons of the community. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that helped quite a bit. I only want to mention one of Ross's. And then okay. It has to be the Koch brothers, R- Rupert Murdoch, and uh, Dick Cheney. Yeah. Those are the ones Ross mentioned. No, I think, no, I think it was, was it Dick Cheney or was it Rush Limbaugh? Um, I don't know. It was one of those. Same yeah. thing. Like, who do you want to die the most? And who, who how can you do the most damage, you know, uh, uh, or something like that? So. No, no, it was Rush Limbaugh. That's right. It yeah. was Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. And um, a moral dilemma, if yeah. there ever was one, a prisoner's dilemma. Um, 
something like that. Uh, so we'll leave it to the, the listener. Post in the comments who you would choose to do what. So uh, uh, we'll see that. The way back. But justifications the, are important. Yeah. Justifications are the core the of the game. Of the game. Yeah, who's going to be a good involved. provider? And who's going to be uh, the uh, who's the one you really want to die? But uh, on the way back, we had another great thing. Yes, and that was a uh, audio book from Pat Oswalt. Yes, called uh, "Zombie Spaceship Wasteland." Yes, and which he read himself. He did. Yeah, he read it himself. Oh, he had he had one of the guys from REM read off lyrics from REM songs. Right, that was nice. Yeah. Scott Pine wasn't no Michael no. Stipe. Michael Stipe. Yes, sorry, Michael Stipe. Yeah, that was that was really good. My God, that whole book was just awesome. It was. It was great. Um, the, there's so many things to mention about it. I mean, it, it would just just get it. I mean, get the get the audiobook version because it's it's great. Because Patton Oswalt is like the king of great description. He is. He is. Um, I don't know. So, I mean, I just, the movie script segment alone. I mean, you're right. It's like the best David Foster Wallace story that, that has never been written, you know, that, that, he, that he didn't actually write. The found artifact. And does she have to go into such graphic detail about her father's horrific crime? Yes. That's, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to say, but my, get the audiobook. Yes. And then buy the book and read it. Yeah, so you can look up all the song lyrics. One thing, Patton Oswalt really loves music. And he's very kind of a high fidelity kind of thing where he's always listing exactly what song that, you know. And uh, if you are someone who, who would be interested in going to Gen Con, you'll like his stuff. Yeah. Patton Oswalt probably would be great at Gen Con. He did play, he does talk about D&D. A lot. His half work assassin. Oh, uh, that's an epic poem. Ulvac. He did, yeah, Ulvac. Uh, Ulvac the, like, it was like, like you know, the, the ballad of Ulvac the, uh, Destroyer, something like that. The Unbound, I think it was. Something, yeah, yeah. His half work assassin. Yeah, um, yeah. Pretty, pretty crazy stuff. Um, now, um, as I said, we're going to do two episodes. Uh, next episode, we'll have David and Aaron. They can talk about their experiences. Um, also, uh, what we're going to do at the end of this episode, I, I recorded a short interview with George Strayton, a uh, screenwriter uh, and RPG designer. He worked on like Star Wars D6, the West End version, uh, and a ton of other stuff. Uh, he has a new game out called The Secret Fire, or Secret Fire, The Secret Fire, uh, which is like a, another rules light kind of fantasy system, a little like old school hack. Uh, sounds very awesome. Um, so we'll, I'll post that interview, but before we get to that, uh, one anecdote. Uh, or I know we've mentioned some anecdote material, but one favorite particular little moment in the game, uh, any game that you listened to or, or participated in, or whatever else. Like Tom, I mean, you, you said you killed Salazar. How did that happen? Or would you? Well, like, see, talk about something else in detail. Well, uh, I'm sure the game's been posted, so you, you listeners know how the game goes normally. Well, I mean, I'm not going to post it right away. There's no, but no, you posted one of the runs of it. I posted all three of them. So, so there you go. So yeah. you know that Candide basically is the. Well, Subject Zero. I Subject- used the stats for Candide from our main wall, but I call him mm-hmm. Subject Zero. Alien warriors created yeah. source of the virus. So in that, you know, they and, source of zombies. And you need and basically you need an original sample from Subject Zero. Yeah. And spinal fluid from a I, I said a new a freshly infected okay uh, metahuman zombie. Sure. So uh, you know they the of course they just I barely have to direct them. They go immediately for the building. <laughs> The the Parasol Corporation where the subject yes. zero is being held. All right, and uh, through his misadventures, they get up there. They you know they you know they have that, that platform to bring them up to the penthouse level. So yeah, the, yeah. The all the so the so the boardroom. So the you know exactly mm, no, we stole that. Yeah, we're making money. Yeah. <laughs> we're evil. Evil, <laughs> stupid, rich people. The staple of gaming. So, <laughs> so they come up there and they decide to, uh, you know, to open him up and get the sample from him. Yeah. So he awakens and starts fighting. Yeah. But they actually managed to let you know, like, well, we don't want to fight. We, 
Which, yeah, I, he stopped. You know, okay. Okay, if you're not going to fight me, good. And um, so they realize, they find out from the doctor they rescued, okay, we need those two things. So they have the sample from Candide, like, all right, now, we're like, we're going to need, like, okay, we need to find, like, we need to find a freshly, you know, a newly infected, uh, met, you know, metahuman zombie. And they ask Subject Zero, like, do you know where we could find one? And I know you said he's mostly unintelligent. Right. I, I played <clears> him like that, but it was your version. Yeah, so. I made him, he wasn't a, he wasn't really sentient, but could do, you know, understood basic things. Right. And so, you know, thought, you know, seemed to tilt his head to think, turned to the nearest character, which happened to be Salazar. Yeah. And shot him with a spore cannon. <laughs> and you rolled a lot of dice for that, so. I did. He survived, but was totally infected. Mm. And, the thing, and the thing is, everyone, everyone understood. Oh, okay, I get that. That's logical. Yeah, yeah. all right. So, like, so I was like, we need to keep him close by when he turns. <laughs> Don't run away now. We'll have to shoot you. So, and so you know they they're finally like they're so that does and then they're they're on a plane you know escaping the city, and that's the moment when he turns completely. Yeah. And I have never seen anyone and so thoroughly enjoy the chance to. Your new goal is to kill the people around you and eat them. Did he manage to infect anyone? No, actually, uh, everyone was on their game. Ah, too bad. Oh well, uh, but. Yeah, they uh, they gang up on him and they end him. <laughs> kind of like the guy in Caleb's game, the uh, the criminal uh, who just got wailed on by like four infected superheroes at once. <laughs> Woo! So, uh, but yeah, they, I know he seemed gloriously happy with that. Nice. Well, what a way to go! I mean, yeah, turn into zombie, just obliterated. I, I, I gotta say, the guy playing the old lady. Yeah. Was on top of things too. Nice, nice. You know, she, you know, she was always going like, "It's like you see, like he seems like like with subjects you're like, he seems like a nice person, just misunderstood." <laughs> <coughs> Whoops. Um, great. Well, that sounds like a great game. Um, Caleb, you ran two or, or, you know <coughs> sessions of a Dirty World, which you mentioned earlier. Um, you didn't record them. We didn't have the recorder with you. Uh, so, how did each one wind up? I mean, people will be able to listen. And find out, you know, how the original scenario set up. But um, so uh, the the basic scenario is that there's there's two Germans uh, who are part of the underworld, uh, two Russian secret police, and uh, two army MPs, uh, all trying to solve the same crimes. Uh, and it worked out in both scenarios that um, one skeezy character was alerted and made a deal with the Russians. Uh, to escape in exchange for another skeezy character. Uh, and so in, in both instances, like, basically my player started the Cold War uh, <laughs> for being, you know, a very subtle <coughs> rhetoric-based system that they played well up to that point. It just turned into bloodbaths near the end. Like, the first one ended in a high-speed car chase uh, where the Russians were trying to get to their side of the of the wall... Uh, with the guy that they made the deal with, and he got shot and fell out of their Jeep. Uh, so he was in the middle of the street. So the Americans and the Russians are rushing at each other, like playing chicken with guns as this German bleeds out in the street. And then the German underworld characters who really want the guy dead catch up in the middle of this gunfight and uh, just just flat-out run over <laughs> the guy that everybody's fighting over. And then uh, the Russians get gunned down. And in the second one, one of the Germans went down, and one of the one of the Americans went down, and it looked like the other American was going to get finished. 
And then the German woman just came out of nowhere and just dominated some stealth checks and, and killed the killed the guy that made the deal with a rock. Just beat him to death with a piece of rubble. So it, it got pretty got pretty real there. Uh, it, it was a climactic ending, to say the least. So. And very noir, because nobody really won. <laughs> <laughs> some people, some people were away. alive, some yeah. people were dead. That was, a, that was about it. I, so. I remember you mentioned something about, like, you know, there's two skill combat skills, in at aptitudes, whatever you want to call them, in a dirty world. Courage and wrath. Courage is for fighting equal or greater odds, and wrath is for, you know, smacking bitches, you know, like, you know, yeah. you know, someone weaker than you. And one character, you said one PC wanted to use his wrath skill, but you're saying, no, this is courage, so... Because um, he was fighting other armed people, right? So how did he solve that? Well, uh, in the game, you're supposed to go by a number called combat potential, right? Which is if you're going up against a greater combat potential, you use courage, and if you're going up against a lesser, you use wrath. Uh, but he's new to the system, and he hadn't really played his character maximized because he was playing the thug, who was really good at beating the shit out of unarmed people for what he wanted, but not so great. And an outnumbered gunfight. Yeah. Um, but I, I did tell him, because he really wanted to use his wrath, and he, he'd been hit, so he didn't have a lot of courage, that if he did something shitty, like just awful and underhanded, I'd let him use wrath. And so, like, he stole, he grabbed his partner and used him as a human shield. <laughs> <laughs> and then started firing. And I'm like, all right, you can use that. So he, he stuck on for a while, because, like, he used his partner as a human shield, um, and his partner got shot, and you give people last words in Dirty World, and I'm like, well, you still got to be horrible if you're going to use wrath. And, and his partner said something like, "I died for the motherland," and he's like, "Truly, you did. Your sacrifice won't be forgotten." Like, and he told him like what he wanted to hear, but then like he stole his money and <laughs> and his gun and started firing both guns at the Americans. So I, I gave it to him again. He got gunned down in a blaze of glory, but. <laughs> he, he went out uh, so he, it, it was pretty he died cool. as he lived full of wrath <laughs> full of wrath he was a very angry Russian nice so. um, well great um, any last words on Gen Con on your first Gen Con uh, I hope to go again um, I, I don't I, I Spent my wallet the... never wants to go again yeah but, um, it is very uh, bruising stayed in the Ritz and yeah. I bought too many expensive books well, about Dresden Files. Hopefully, we'll try that. One yeah, day. well, so. uh, that'll be up shortly before the apocalypse. Uh, but no, I, I uh, was a, had a very pleasant experience. How about you, Tom? Yeah, delightful, <laughs> delightful. All right, well, we'll continue this conversation in the next episode with Aaron and David. Uh, stay tuned now for uh, George Strayton talking about the Secret Fire. Hi, this is Ross Bain with the Roleplaying Bubble Radio. We're here with George Strayton, uh, the author of The Secret of Fire. Uh, Did I get that right? That's exactly right. Yes, Secret of Fire. A new role-playing game, and uh, why don't you tell us about it? Okay, it's a fantasy role-playing game. Yeah. Um, And obviously the classic fantasy role-playing game has to be Dungeons & Dragons. So um, it's, it's... Got all the tropes you'd expect from a fantasy role-playing game. You've got level, you've got cl- you've got cl- we have different names for everything, but you've got mm-hmm. the equivalent of classes, ability scores, right. um, attacks and damage, skills, etc. 
and primarily what you're doing, you're a band of adventurers who go off into the into the unknown and uh, either for you know, and often for various reasons, right. uh, individually but collectively to accomplish something specific, right. like to go to a dungeon and you know. Uh, find something or like treasure okay. uh, or save a princess or right. anything you know all, right, right. all the t- things you're used to in playing Dungeons and Dragons okay um, so what I'll really focus on is what makes the game different right exactly so there's three three parts to that and okay. I'll tell them is in, in a way that's as a, uh, hopefully as um, Concise, uh, concise, and 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 as uh, uh, interesting as I think they are. All right. So number one part, and then I'll tell you how they work together. Sure. Part number one is that I'm a screenwriter as well, and mm. actually that's my primary job. That's a, mm. I, I hate to call it my day job, I guess, but <laughs> it's like my day job. That's what I do for a living, and um, so I have a lot of experience of storytelling. Right. And uh, my mentors were Sam Raimi and. Uh, Bob Orsi and Alice Kurtzman, who did like Cowboys and Alien. They did okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, okay, so you know who they are. So they did pretty well for themselves. Yeah. And those were my three mentors. And Some they, people might know. I really, yeah. yeah, good. And they're great guys, and I learned a ton from them. I worked with mm. them for about 13 years or so. Um, and just learned a lot. And so I wanted to bring that to the tape. I wanted sure. to bring that to the game. Because one thing I found that was kind of missing, and there's people who role play on their own. Right. They don't need help. Right, they just right. come and do it. So it wasn't for those people particular, particularly. Right. So for the people who don't normally want to do that or for some reason don't, they're shy or whatever right. reason, wanted to create an incentive, um, uh, first of all, a system that uh, encouraged you to do it right. um, and, and a system that allowed you to do it in a very simple way. So okay. part number one is that all, I tried to take the make math to everything and make it secondary. So mm-hmm. every, all the math is like in parentheses. Right. And so for your ability scores, uh, We'd use like in- intellect. Maybe you know we have all. Our, it's, it's not an OGL game. Just to right. make that clear, it's not an OSR game. It's right. its own new game. So we have all our own names for things. So right, right. intellect, which would be like an equivalent of intelligence. Right. Um, you could be. You could have a score of um, uh, brilliant. Right. You could have a score of clever. You could have a score of moronic. <laughs> um, and so there's uh, about six different uh, words, right. adjectives that describe each of the six, uh, different ability scores. So for presence, we have anything from charming to repulsive. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the middle there is like offensive. Right. Uh, so, and all, for everything, same thing. And those are uh, more mental traits. So physical traits like um, uh, strength, it'd be, you know, mighty all the way down to feeble. But you might right. be strapping, you might be weak. It's all in between there. But, and then average is in the middle. Right. So a person sits down, looks at their character sheet, and they don't look at the numbers. They say, okay, I'm mighty, I'm uh, moronic, foolhardy, and, but I'm charming. Right. I know what that means. Like, I get what that means. Instead of, like, I have an 18, I have a 6, I have right, a right. 4, it means less. And you, especially for new players, they might go, like, I don't, what is that? How do I roll Right, right. That? An 18 does, means nothing. Yeah, well, I don't so. know what that means. Right. But now I give you an adjective that's on a spectrum of that ability score. So you have that, and then for alignment, you've got good, neutral, and evil. Mm-hmm. And you have a specific trait associated with each one of those. Right. So you, no matter no matter what your alignment is, you get one of each. So let's quickly say that you got for good, you got um, self-sacrificing. For neutral, you got alcoholic, and <laughs> for uh, for evil, you got greedy. Right. All right. But I'm decided. I'm going to be. Uh, uh, I said I was mighty, so uh, I'm a knight. Right. And I'm good, so I'm going to be good. So my dominant trait is self-sacrificing. That goes along with the knight being a knight right. too. So I'm a self-sacrificing knight uh, of good. Um, and I'm mighty, and however, I'm moronic. Um, so you start wondering, okay, I can start filling in backstory. Like, why would they take a moronic knight into an order? Uh, oh, Someone his ancestor, one right. of his ancestors was in, because we've seen that happen before. <laughs> nepotism. Like it's nepotism. It is, yes. Okay, so fine. 
but immediately you come up with a backstory. You can't help right. it. You're like, why would they take more? Oh, that must be. Uh, that's what I'm going to decide. Right. So now, basically, I've given you these tools to role play, and right. you've got your ability. And anything that's average is average. So you wind up having usually about four specific things for your abilities, and three for your alignment. So there's only seven things on there that are you need to like think about. Right. So right. it's not overwhelming you with like four pages of backstory. Right. You know, it's like four quick. pages of stats. Yeah. yeah, it's four pages of stats and backstory and figuring yeah. out what those mean. So it's quick. Second part is that uh, so it's it's gonna be separate, but I'll show you how they tie together. Right. So and by the way, that doesn't force you to role play or encourage you to role play just because those things are there. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit because you understand it better, but you could just not role play those things. Right. So the second part is gonna tie back into that first part. The second part is about flexibility um, and realism. So I wanted a game, and, it, and I played a lots of games. I played all editions of d and I've even, even written for third 3.5, and I, no. I did some consulting on fourth edition uh, on the DMG2, and I was a play tester. And then I always played first edition from right. the time I was a kid in 79. <laughs> and I still run a campaign, and my, my brother, who you met, Dave, yeah. is in my campaign and uh, suffered greatly. <laughs> I feel terrible. Brotherly but love. anyway, yes, exactly. Um, but I think I've made it up to him by now. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I, and then I, just, I was a game designer for West End Games mm-hmm. for a few years, so we did a lot of games based on movie property, like Star uh, Wars. Star Wars D6. Yeah. Star Wars D6, Indiana Jones, Men in Black, right. etc. So, completely different system, obviously right. from D&D. Um, and then I've just played tons of different games. And I even, I wrote for, uh, I wrote for a Lord of the Rings game, I wrote for uh, lots of uh, third-party games, and I, so I just had a, a wide field of experience in right, right. both writing and in playing games. I love games. It's a passion right. of mine. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. Right, of um, So, uh, creating a game on my own, with my, making a company to do that. So, um, I was thinking about all those different things, and one of the things that bothered me sometimes about games was when it didn't feel realistic. So, uh, not, not to pick uh, something to say something negative about it, but just because I think most people will be familiar with it, is in 4th edition you have encounter powers. Right, right. And that was one of the things, there's lots of great things in 4th edition that I liked, um, but one of the things that bothered me was encounter powers. I couldn't explain, like, well, realistically, why can you only do this every five minutes? Right. And at first yeah. I thought, well, it's because you only have that amount of power. Right, right. Um, well, that makes sense for wizards, but not necessarily but, fighters. Right. So with a fighter, like, well, okay, yeah, I understand that. I, I only have... I can only do that five minutes because I only have a certain amount of strength, but I still have three daily powers I could still do in this battle. Right. So why can't I? Why couldn't I do something like sacrifice a daily power and get three right, counter right. powers back or something? So I made a house rule of my own that allowed you to do that kind of stuff. Um, wow. And we, when we play fourth edition, that's what we do. We we have a set of house rules, about eleven house rules that we use to try to make the game a little bit more really right, realistic. Right. Um, and the other thing I didn't, I, I, I felt um, took away from the realism of the game was that people would say like, "All right," and we use a lot of the guys use cards, the cards mm-hmm. they put out. I was like, "Okay, I'm using this, and it's named that, and um, I blind him, and I hit three different people with with daggers." Right. And you're like, "Okay," but there's no visual to it. Like I right. don't know what you did or how that happened. It's right. just okay, cool. It's cool. I right. like the idea of that, but tell me what I see. You know, right. I want that. Or in third edition, it's I hit it with my sword again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I wanted something that used those ideas, yeah. but in a way that was realistic. So the second part is um, energy points. Mm-hmm. So you start out the day with a pool of energy points. It's based on your score. So you start out with the same pool every day, mm-hmm. and you can accrue more above that amount mm-hmm. as you go along. So you can have more than your daily starting allotment, and you use those points to accomplish special effects. 
Special effects are in three categories. So there's battle, of course. Right, right. So that's like blinding people, shoving people, knocking them down, maybe even knocking them out, that sort of thing. Um, there are ones related to spell casting. Uh, I use the Vantian system, like third edition, like basically oh. all of D and D, where you memorize spells. spells forget Although them. we eventually have a you know yeah fire and forget kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I have a special effect in there that says you can rip a spell out of your mind and shove another one in there during the middle of the day. Now that's very taxing to do, so it takes energy. So you have to you know spend energy points to do that. And actually, as a quick aside. I came up with that idea because I would notice that I would be, I don't know if you've had this experience, I'm sitting at my typewriter, at my typewriter, at my <laughs> computer typing, and I'm sweating. And I'm like, I'm in an air conditioning room, why am I sweating? I'm not even doing anything physical, why am I sweating? I looked it up, it turns out because you are using your brain so much, mm-hmm. you need a lot of oxygen, right. and so you, blood is coursing you through your system like crazy and actually making you hot. So you start sweating. So right. I said, okay, yeah, you're, so it's taxing. It's actually taxing. So. So there's a bunch of stuff for uh, spellcasting you can do. And right. then the third category is exploration, because the game is very much focused on exploration, not on fighting. Fighting happens, but it's all about exploring the right. unknown. The new so world, yeah. one example of, uh, two examples of that would be like, we need to double march. We need to get from point A to point B quickly. Another one is um, we're trying to find a princess. She's hidden in one of these rooms. They're going to sacrifice her. We don't know which room she's in. we gotta, we got to search all these rooms. It takes 10 minutes normally to search a room. But we can ransack rooms in one minute by spending energy points. So it's, but you can get that. Like I'm knocking over the bed and like right. you know opening up every armor, throwing things around, spending energy. So your energy points over the course of the game are depleting. So now this is how it ties together with the first point I was making about the role playing. Right. I was trying to figure out like okay, um, what normally happens in a game when you run out of things is you save. So, yeah. And it's the 15-minute adventuring day people talk about and complain right. about all the time. And I didn't want that. I'm like, how do we keep it going? So that led to... And, and then secondly, I had this issue of, like, how do I, get, how do I encourage people to role-play? Like, I, right. they've got the system there, but how do I get them to use it? So oh, I'll tie those two things together. So the more you role-play your character... Every time you role-play your character, you get point energy points. So... Um, for example, we uh, had a table of, uh, and uh, I, I placed tests literally all over the world. I went, to, I was in the UK, France, all over the US, right. everywhere. And I always had people at the table who were, I know I'm talking fast, so hopefully all, all, you all understand me. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to get out as much of the information at the game as I can to show you what, what's different about it. Um, I, had, I always have to see people who, some are natural role players, some are natural tacticians. Right, 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 and there's nothing wrong with either of those two types of styles. It's great, they're both great. Um, and in fact, I think you need both to successfully, you know, win right. through an adventure. Um, the what what hap- what becomes problematic is when people get annoyed with each other because uh, the tacticians are like, "You're wasting time. Why are you doing that? Like, right. it's ruining the tactics." Like, well, that's my character. So I wanted to blend those two together, and so there's that argument goes away. Mm-hmm. So I have you get energy points back from role playing your character. So I had a, t- a guy who was very tactical and and really a genius at being tactical. But he was running out of points like crazy because he was doing all this cool stuff. Um, even it, it, he wasn't a spellcaster, so he wasn't using any from that category. But he was using a lot from the exploratory category and a lot from the battle category. Right. But he was running out. He's like, "Oh, what am I going to do now? What do I do?" And meanwhile, the role players were like accruing role playing energy points like crazy because they're just naturally role players. So right. they're looking at their sheet and they're like, "Oh, okay. Um, you know, um, I, I'm uh, I'm reckless. I run into the room and you know whatever and." Yeah. Much to the chagrin of the tactical people, like, no, don't run into the room. We have to check the room out. 
But they're like, because they're doing it, I'm, throwing, I'm giving them points. So they're building up stacks sure, of points. Sure. So these guys on the other side of the table who are tacticians, specifically this one guy was a great example. He was about 20, 22. He was an MMO guy, right. and he'd played fourth edition. And he's like, I, I can't do these special effects that I love anymore. And, and they're fun. I want to do that. And that's what's engaging right. to me so far in this game. He's like, oh, these guys are getting a lot of points for doing this role-playing stuff. All right. Um, oh, my character's moronic. He's like, okay. So it was his turn. He goes, okay. That wizard put up a wall of fire to try to get that tree ant that we're fighting, but missed. But the wall of fire is still up there? Yes. Okay. I'm going to step into the wall of fire, and I wanna, I'm going to cover my skin, but I want to get everything on fire and flaming my... All my armor, everything, I want to set it on fire. And then I'm going to jump on the tree ant and, and light it up. And was like, that, no, you're going to get killed by the, the fire. Like, it's, it's, going to just, it's going to kill you. He's like, no, 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 no. It's magical fire. And he walks off, and everybody's like, what? What is it? And they're like, oh, he's a, he's a moron. Okay, yeah. I get it. So he goes, and he stands in the fire. He takes all kinds of damage. He's like, okay, am I really good and on fire? I'm like, yeah, and you are in severe pain, too. He's like, okay, awesome. He's like... I run out of the fire screaming in pain and I jump onto the tree ant with dagger first. He said, okay, make it to hit roll. Yeah. And uh, he rolls natural 20. <laughs> He's also a thief. So natural 20 in my game is double damage, like multiplied right. by two. A sneak attack at the level he was at is double damage, so it's quad he's doing quadruple damage. I also give him extra damage because he's on fire and he's attacking a tree. Right, makes sense. So, acting realistically. And that was his creativity. That wasn't something he came up in the rules. I don't have a rule about right. attacking a tree amp by running through right, a right. fire. Like, he was being very creative that, yeah. in his role-playing of the character. Right. And so he jumps onto the tree and he, start, he lights it up. And I'm like, I'll, I'm giving you seven energy points for doing this. It's crazy. <laughs> and uh, taking all this damage, like he literally like went from like half health to half, I mean full health to half health by doing this. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, I want to do more. I want to use the special effect to do extra damage. And I'm like, okay. Caveat is, explain to me how you're doing that realistically. He's like, okay. I've got the dagger that's pinned to the tree that's keeping me held up there. I'm gonna loosen it a little bit so I slide down and light more of the branches on fire. He's <laughs> like. Okay, I buy that. So he does that. He does more damage. So in the end, mostly damage is in the range of like 5 to 12 or something right. like that. Just 48 points of damage to this tree ant because he's lit it up a blaze. Like, you've killed it. He's like, yes. Awesome. He's like, all right, I'm going to walk back through the wall of fire. And like, you just took damage from that. And he's like, and he's like, he just walks back because he's playing a moronic character. Right, right, right. So I'm like, I just take more damage. He comes back through and he's literally, I have wound levels yeah, yeah. instead of hit points which was uh, some, inspired by Star Wars, but it works differently. But yeah, yeah. what I liked about it, it give, it's, they have names to them. And it started out, it's, you're grazed, you're hurt. Right. He was messed up. That was his, <laughs> that's where so. he was, which is one way from death's door. So he was totally messed up when he comes through. And like I said, like, you know, some of the fire got through where he tried to cover up his scalp and whatever. And so like smoke was coming off him and he's blackened and whatever. And there's still a little bit of fire on him. And yeah. all the players like were patting out the fire. And uh, they're like, what happened? He's like, Killed it, <laughs> and they all loved it. They all like they could. First of all, when they saw the natural twenty, everybody jumped up. Yeah, like, yeah, oh my yeah, god! Course. You know, as usually happens, but Critical even more so because this guy was rolling. From the rest of that event onwards, I would say that was like an hour and a half in. For the rest of the two and a half hours of playing, he was role playing like mad because he, could he wanted use the these, energy he points. Wanted these energy points, and the role players were saying, "Oh, 
I can show off my character more by doing these special effects. Right. So I'm gonna. I have a character who's daring. So yeah. I'm gonna use a special effect to. This wasn't in the list of special effects. People started realizing. Oh, just make it up, and I tell you how much it costs based on the guidelines that I've written here. So I'm gonna cut through this rope and swing across on chandelier, <laughs> and I'm gonna start. I'm gonna just attack as many people as I can going forward. I'm like, all right, that's gonna cost you five energy points to do that because if you're gonna get to attack multiple people, it's kind of difficult to do. So he's like, all right, I, I want to do it because I'm a daring character. And he does it, and he goes across. He's like, cuts off the head of one, does some damage to another, and misses the third one. But, <laughs> and, he, and then he's like, I jump off and I land. You know, like, and like, okay, you jump off. Let's see if you land. We're going to call for a skill test on that one. That's not going to be an automatic. So I make him do uh, a, 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 a reflex skill test, and he makes it. So he, which of course he loves. He's like, and I land, and I put my arm, you know, my fist in my hips, and uh, ha ha, I am, you know, and he. So, so both sides basically came together, and it right, became a balance of role playing and doing interesting tactical things. And every, and the, the guys who were tactical guys weren't getting mad at the role players anymore because they knew they needed those right, guys to get synergy, more points. Yeah. So and vice versa. Right. So it actually became a table of people all were playing together, mm-hmm. and even they all had different, you know, versions of D and D or Pathfinder or whatever it was that they right. loved. That was a, sometimes adamantly so. Um, they all had a good time and forgot that they were playing a different game. Right. So I feel like it's uh, the, the third thing. And actually, I just have explained the third part of the game <laughs> that was really important to me was this um, ability to bring people together. Right. Like there's, there's, there seems to me or feels to me there's like this fracturing because we have so many editions and right. so many games and in, in a way that's great to have all these different types of games but in a way it's a little bit sad because sometimes you feel like you can't play with people because you're like I only play Pathfinder or I only play 4E and this oh a guy said to me and I can't use I wish I could use the saying but I'll be sued by two companies he said uh, <laughs> this is like he was, it was a reference to Star Trek he said uh, this is like the universal translator to D&D it's like there okay you. so you want CBS okay. and Hasbro to sue me that's what you're right. telling me <laughs> I'm like no exactly that is what I was going for <laughs> I wanted it to be that you could sit down with your friends like say your old high school buddies right. who have all gone off and are playing different variations of games I mean right. Savage Worlds, whatever. Right. And it's got elements of Savage Worlds kind of in there with the role-playing and whatnot. And it's got elements of Star Wars, not just D&D. So there's something in the game for everybody. And I've, I've run dozens of tables, and I've actually put up on YouTube mm-hmm. uh, you know, clips of running the game. Oh, okay. okay. So you can watch some of those. Every single those. person, yeah. you'll see everybody, uh, and it might be some of them, I asked everybody beforehand what they yeah. per- preferred. At the end, everybody was like, this was just fun. Like, I just enjoyed playing. And that was cool. really one of my big objectives with the game. So those right. are the three things I think set it apart. One, role-playing. Right. Two, these um, very flexible but very realistic right. energy points where you can do these special effects. Right. And number three, bringing people back together. Right. As just in, uh, you know, on a level of, the, you know, just gamerdom. Like right, right. bringing people back together. And sure. that's not in the game, but it, the things in the game hopefully help that happen. Great, great. Another thing is I tried to make the game uh, low barrier to entry. Um, so, so the soft cover is 300 pages, over 300 pages. You can get it from Lulu for $19.99, and it's the equivalent of your Monster Manual, your Player's Handbook, and your uh, DM's Guide, which would run you $100. Right. Or on Amazon, let's, you can get it for $75, bucks, to be right. fair. $75. Bucks. This is $19.99. You get the PDF, $9.99. And we'll have an EPUB coming out next week. Mm-hmm. Um, for nine ninety nine, we also have an app. It's gonna as soon as it gets approved by <laughs> Apple, which is not the game itself, but it's ancillary right. to the game. Um, in fact, I brought a copy of it, but I don't have the latest version, so the data's not in it. To yeah. look up app, I just want to make this point because I, I'm really I'm really happy with the way it turned <laughs> out. It's just a look up app. 
So this doesn't have the data in it, but I can search for whatever I want to search for. Oh, like a reference manual. Yeah, exactly, to find okay. anything. But the genius of it is that... Uh, something in the language of uh, T, I know is a popular letter. Yeah, okay. So it comes up with all these things. These are the categories. Okay. You pick the category, and then those are the three things that had T in okay. it. And then you get the, you know, in format text of that thing. So I can actually pick all my spells that I always cast, right. just stick them in here, and then I can add them to my favorites. So I can click it from, <laughs> from this side. Still in beta. Or... Yeah, no, no, no. It oh, actually okay. works. I just wasn't clicking. So it stick it to my uh, oh, okay. favorites, and then in my favorites are all the things I normally reference. So I can just okay. keep that aside, and whenever I'm like, oh, wait, what's the, what's the, what's the um, range of the spell? Just go click it up. Okay, got it. All right. That's all I need. So it's quick. But $4.99 for right. the app. You keep it forever. It's not a subscription-based thing. Right. And the data downloads onto your mobile device. So we'll have it okay. for iOS and for Android. And that data is yours forever. So un unlike the Wasi system where you, once you stop paying, you lose access to the data. Right. It's yours forever. You get to keep it. And it's stored on your mobile device. So if you're in a room where you don't have access right, to right. internet, you can still access. You got it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, there's a game store in New York City where I often run games. Right. Where it's in the, this game gaming um, tables are in the basements. I have no service at all. It's eight, I have AT and T and I have no service anywhere anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, it, it, in the basement, I got nothing. So I could never look <laughs> anything up, even though I paid the subscription. So I wanted a game, uh, uh, an app that allowed you to do that. And as we put up, we're going to put out three games, three books per year, mm -hmm. so, so it's not to overwhelm people. Keep them low price point. Right. And if you want an in-app purchase of the data from that, it'll just be a couple bucks. You can add it into your, into your you. app. If you don't want it, you're not interested in that, you don't have to buy it. Right. It's totally it's up to you. Yeah. It's modular. And then still, and that gets downloaded to your mobile device. So you own right. that forever. Great. So that's kind of our model. I mean, we're a company. We're not just a one-shot, like right. we're doing one game. <laughs> and in fact, we have another game. Um, I'll mention the name of it, but we're not going to uh, actually show it off until Origins next year. It's called. Okay. It's in development right now. It's by a great developer named Ross Pearson, and it's called um, After London. It's basically okay. a post-apocalyptic post London, right. and he lives in London. Oh, okay. Yeah, we actually our team was all over the world. We used digital technology. We had a virtual office, and we had people from Los Angeles to Edinburgh. Nice. Nice. Working Sounds on great. the game. So I've talked for, for uh, probably this whole time. <laughs> I didn't give you a chance to ask any single question, so I know, I know you are, have a little time because we're at Gen Con and lots of busy things going on. Do you have some questions? You uh, what's to the ask? Next, what are the next books planned for? Okay, so um, next one is so I'm call, I, I made, by the way, everybody, the book, the book, the size of the book is uh, eight and a half by five and a half. Right. And that's an homage to Gary Gygax. Right. To the little round books were that exact size. Right. Um, and it's further homage to Gary Gygax because I'm working on a project. Um, a movie project with Gail Gygax about Gary. Oh, nice. And I got access to all of his notes on how he designed D&D. &D. Nice. And no one's ever gotten a chance to look at this stuff. So I felt really privileged and honored to look at these things. And it gave me, this more so than the mechanics, the spirit of what he was trying to do. Great. Which I really Great. tried to bring into this. Okay. Um, and, and then take the modern techniques. Over 40 years of game gaming, sure. Sure. people have come up with good stuff. Yeah, you know? they have. It's not possible <laughs> not to come up with good stuff. So I tried to bring that all into the modern day. That sp same spirit into the modern day. Cool, cool. Um, so the first, so I'm calling the uh, the expansions supplements, again, mm -hmm. an ode to Gary. Because right. we supplement one, two, three. So supplement one, coming out in December, is called Demons and, uh, sorry, D Demons and Druids. 
Demons and Druids. And what it is is think of it as an expansion. So it's got more spell. Everything there's four basically classes. We call them callings and races in here. Mm -hmm. Spells and prayers for the for the holy men or clerics. Right. Um, plus monsters, how to run an adventure, how to create an adventure. A section on the world. Um, you know, an overview section on the world because. Uh, we, you know, we can't write a whole book on the world, but like there's a map of the right. world in there. You can download that map for free. There's also a color version that's hex-based. Uh, but what we're going to do is expand on all those things. Mm -hmm. We have a thing that's equivalent of feats, but they're called trademarks because they're three times as powerful as feats. Right. But you only get six or seven, whereas in fourth edition you, you get 16 lot. or yeah. 17. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to keep track of because sometimes there's very situational, like this gives me plus two to my AC when I'm hit by lightning. Right, right. And it's hard to remember those things. These are more like... Um, precise attack, which means I always roll my attack dice twice, and I pick the highest score. Whichever is the rolled higher, I pick that die, and I right. go from there. Um, or, and you have to have a you have to have a, an, uh, an equal number of combat related ones and non combat related ones. That's so good. That's good. A non combat one might be a lover in every port. Right. So every time you go into port, you got to break a d6 roll. One to three, the lover is glad to see you and is going to help you out, give you information, hide you, etc. Four to six, lover's pissed. <laughs> You've been gone too long. Yeah. Or they have a new boyfriend, uh, um, and they're after you because of the way you treated her. <laughs> right, and right. so there's a complication. So it, it, it goes both ways, but those right. are trademarks because they're big. Everybody knows, the whole party knows, whenever you pull into port, they're like, oh, God, I hope this lover likes this yeah, guy right, still. Right. You know? So um, so there's going to be more of that, but never we're never going to make so much stuff that's going to overwhelm you. Like There's hundreds of feats, literally, for right, the right. Oh, that's Hundreds, right. and you can't know what they all are. So we're going to live in these things at more like 50 or so. So you can have a sense of what they are, and they're all big deals. They're all each one is a big deal, and your character sheet will have a few on them as you level up. I mean, at max level, you'll have six or seven. Mm -hmm. So, um, but then we'll have a focus for each supplement. So this focus is demons and druids, and in our world, the holy men and holy women, the clerics, fight undead. Right. Vampires, where you know liches, you know that sort of thing. In uh, Secret Fire, it's druids that fight demons. Because demons are unnatural, right. so druids and rangers and we, the, our bards are very much um, based on Celtic bards. Yeah. So they're part of the secret society. who are all try out trying to find demons. We're all tr out trying to find demons um, and keep get them out of our world. Right. So, but um, so a lot of there'll be a whole section on demons. Now there's monsters that go along with demons, so that so the MC has more monsters to choose right. from. But he also has a whole section on. Well, how do these demons think? How do they role play? What do they do? Like, what are they? Are there coalitions of demons, or can they just not work together? Right. So it'll go in depth. It won't be just like a couple of paragraphs. Right. And, um, and secondly, like a section on players. How do people? How do you fight demons? Like learning their true name and things like that. Okay. And yeah. and, and lastly, like wizard spells on summoning demons. Of course. The spells in the game and uh, the players in the game all have a little bit almost all have a little bit of a dangerous aspect to them right so there may be a one, uh, we, there's one called uh, this, uh, well it's equivalent of like a banishing spell mm -hmm. but there's a 1% chance you accidentally you're sending them back into the void yeah. you accidentally send yourself there 1% chance right 1% and somebody said in another in a, a, one session it was a kind of a teleport spell and he said I'm gonna I'm gonna teleport myself and this other companion of mine um, from here to this location. I was like, okay, just want to remind you, there's a 1% chance that you, you teleport yourself into solid stone because you're going inside this keep. Right. It's like, 1% chance. Rolls the die, 1%. <laughs> Ouch. And he was like, oh my God. 
oh my god <laughs> like he, he literally couldn't believe like he was like staring at the dad going is, is that say one am I, am I seeing a one you know it was, but it was really it worked out right. being really fun because they yeah. stone shaped and they you know they did these things to bring these guys back to life eventually but like it was great so there's uh, a century the game is about the unknown mm-hmm. it's about going into peril it's, a, it's about you're not a superhero you're a regular person you could have been a, a farm boy but you're like Luke Skywalker you could right. have been a farm boy but you go out and get, become a Jedi Knight like, right. over the course of having these adventures not right. because right. you just become a Jedi Knight you've got you to go through hell Right. so the game is fast flexible easy to grasp especially when you have uh, uh, words rather than numbers yeah. and um, very flexible and realistic so I think that's those are the three key things that um, make it interesting to people and different and we'll have three books a year that first one I mentioned the second one will come out in April we haven't released the name of that one yet um, okay. but it'll have more information it'll it'll well, actually, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll give you the exclusive. I haven't told okay. anybody at all of Jenna. I've had 30 interviews, and I've not told anybody this. It's called Legends and Labyrinths. Okay. And it's really about um, everything to do with going into, like, ancient ruins and Dungeon that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And how to make that interesting. Right. Like, because off, we often all say, like, dungeon crawling could sound boring. Right. How, yeah. do, how do you make it exciting? And I'm oh, going to take all of my... Um, I have a little bit of it in here in the main book, right. but I'm going to really expand on it. And that's cool. where I really use my screenwriting skills to, to imbue a setting with right. something that makes it interesting. Well, so, which you do in movies all the time. you got to make so, it look interesting. Yeah. It's a visual medium. So, um, uh, we're very excited. We're gonna, And then we'll have another game out in uh, for next summer for con season. Cool. And, uh, we're, right. yeah, we're very happy. And I'm... Thanks right. for uh, taking the time yeah. to come and talk to me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you have anything else, you want to get in touch with me, uh, everybody, yeah. for everybody, you can go, you can go to secretfiregames.com. Okay. Um, if you want to see how I designed the game, I had a blog called legendsandlabyrinths.com, actually. Okay. Uh, where you can see me designing things, and you want to, if you want to see a lot of mistakes, yeah. uh, <laughs> you can go there and you'll see a lot of mistakes, things that didn't work. But right. you'll also see the process of development, which is interesting, if, especially if you want to be a game designer. Cool. Um, so that's out there too. Right. All right. Well, uh, sounds very interesting. We'll be taking a look at that. Probably Great. Get yeah. Get back in touch with you. Thanks sounds a lot, good. George. Yeah, right. It's really nice to meet you. Thanks All a right. lot.
Zombie.